Shootings, bombings, wars, racial tensions, suicides, tragedy, and the list goes on. It is evident that the world that we live in today leaves us longing for something more. Amen? What if I were to tell you that it's not that we're longing for something, but rather someone, and his name is Jesus? You see, God sent Jesus to this broken world to restore it, that those who believed in him would experience life and life more abundantly. But he didn't stop there. He wants to empower his believers to be a part of the restoration cycle that this world needs. Today, will you give him your yes? My name is E.J. Brown. I'm one of the ministers here at the Hills. I'm honored to be with you, and today I'm sharing a message with you called Restoration for a Broken World. Everyone say it with me. Restoration, Restoration. For, a for a broken world. As we get started today, I want to lay some groundwork as we journey through this text and through this day. I want to give you two definitions real quick. The word restoration, everyone say restoration is a bringing back to a former position or condition. So in order for something to be restored, that means it first had to be in a good condition. The next word that I wanna share with you is broken. Everyone say broken. It means not functioning properly and out of working order. You see, it doesn't take us long. We wake up, we get on our phone, and we see that we live in a broken world. Everyone this morning received an alert that there was a child abduction. We don't have to go far to see that this world is longing for something more, but if we're not careful, as believers in Jesus and as humanity, we'll just continue to scroll, to clear, and to keep pushing in the only thing that we want to do and not what God's trying to do. See, if we're not careful as believers, we can take a it-is-what-it-is mentality And God never told us to do that. He told us to take on it is what he says it is mentality. And so today as we get started, we're going to journey through the book of Acts chapter 3. And I want to just pray us into this message because I believe there are people in here today that need some restoration. But I believe there are also people here today that God is wanting to use to restore a broken situation in your life. So Father, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you that you brought them here today. It wasn't a coincidence. I thank you that you gave them breath in their lungs to wake up today. There are people who didn't wake up, and so we're thankful for that. Father, I pray that we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is postured to receive your word. Jesus, we need you. I need you. None of me and all of you. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. So today, like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. So I want you to stay locked in. It's going to be a lot of text, but I believe it's going to bless you. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Now, 
I am not insensitive to the fact that some of you guys, this may be your first time in church, this may be your first time reading the Bible, so I want to give you some context so you know where we're going. First, Peter and John, they are uh, disciples of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three that was kind of in his inner courts, you know, his homies, his riders, you know? And so, if y'all don't know what that is, don't ask me. But um, Jesus had his homies, and like these three, Peter, James, John, were, were kind of his close friends. So. As we look at Peter and John walking into this place, into this setting, we must know that they walked with Jesus very closely. So they know how Jesus would respond to things. And so another thing that I want to give you some context is that Jewish people and Jewish culture, you would go to the synagogue um, for three times a day at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. This specific time that they went was the evening tamid. And this is where they offered sacrifice. And so you may say, why are you telling me this? Well, this is a time where the layman that we're about to talk about would know that it's a busy time, but also Peter and John would be aware that there's a lot of people that are about to see what God is going to do with this broken man. So I just wanted to give you some insight into the text. Verse 2, it says, And a man who had been unable to walk from birth was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful so that he could beg alms from those entering the temple. So when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them for coins. But Peter, along with John, stared at him intently and said, look at us, in the name of Jesus. And the man began to pay attention to them, eagerly expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name, the authority and power of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, begin now to walk and go on walking. Then he seized the man's right hand with a firm grip and raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong and steady. And with a leap, he stood up and began to walk, and he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the very man who usually sat begging for coins at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and were mystified at what had happened to him. Now while he was still holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly amazed, ran together and crowded around them at the covered porch called Solomon's Portico. Now, I'm going to let y'all get a little insight in my life. When I read the text... I kind of have like this, uh, in my mind, I'm like, yo, uh, I just want to imagine what this really, this scene was really like. So um, really, as I read the text, I'm kind of imagining it's like this. So the lame man, he sits down on the ground, and he's asking people for coins. Hey, can I have some coins? Can I have some coins? Then all of a sudden, two beautiful, strong men walk up, and they say, look at us, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. They grab him by the hand, he leaps up, he's standing there, and all of a sudden, heaven starts playing. Hey, hey, yeah, 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 come on, hey, hey, hey. So and I that's don't need a rose, but you know I might push saying? a fan. I'm just so trying like, to I know, hey, hey, Rick, I know you here, man. Hey, 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 don't fire me, okay? I know you never expected that to happen at the Hills uh, pulpit, but, you know, we're here. Um, But I just imagine, like, guys, you got to have fun with Scripture, okay? Not that you speak into Scripture, but 
me and my wife, we always talk about how, like, you know, when uh, Lazarus got up, we just imagine him crit walking out the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just so amazing because we have to realize that this text was real people. This isn't some fantasy story. These are real people that had real problems that Jesus, he met the need in their brokenness. Amen? And so verse 12, it says, And Peter, seeing this, said to the people, You men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as though by our own power or godliness? Okay. Why? <laughs> My uh, notes just went off. Um, so I'm about to read this. Uh, as though by our own power or godliness have made this man walk, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant and son, Jesus, doing him this honor. The one whom you handed over and disowned and rejected before Pilate when he had decided to release him. See if it loads. See, technology, man, it's going to fail you. I need to be like Rick and get some paper. Um, yeah, let's see what we got here. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work, but praise God, we about to preach. Um, oh, there we go. We got it. Yeah, I know I got it because Jesus got me. Amen, somebody. Um, it says, but you, hey, we back. We back in business, y'all. Praise God. Thank you for praying and interceding. Uh, praise the Lord, saints. Um, all right, so we are in verse what? Anyone know? 14. Y'all were listening. Wake up, everybody else. But you disowned and denied the holy and righteous one and asked for the pardon of a murderer to be granted to you, but you killed the prince, the author, originator, source of life, whom God raised bodily from the dead. To this fact, we are witnesses. For we have seen the risen Christ, and on the basis of his faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health and complete wholeness in your presence. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, not fully aware of what you were doing, just as your rulers did also. And so God has fulfilled what he foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. So repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and return to God. Everyone read this with me. Seek his purpose for your life. Y'all can do better. Seek his purpose for your life so that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out, completely erased, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a Texas day. Yes. Yes, I said it. I got beef with Texas, okay? Last night I was looking at the weather and it's a hundreds the rest of the week. And I said, man, y'all are crazy thinking that God said that this is God's country. The devil is a liar. This is not. It's too hot here, okay? Um, anyways, uh, uh, verse 20, and that he may send to you Jesus the Christ who has been appointed for you, whom heaven must keep until the time for the complete restoration of all things about which God promised through the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. I have nothing else to say. That is a lot of reading. Okay, but for real, as Christians, if we want to see the brokenness of our world restored, there are a couple of things that I want to highlight today that I believe will help us to be a part of this restoration cycle. The first thing is we must go from convenience to compassion. We must go from convenience to compassion. You see, the rabbis, they taught that there were three pillars of the Jewish faith, the Torah, worship, and showing of kindness and charity. And so almsgiving, what the layman was wanting, it wasn't a big deal for you to do that. 
They would literally walk past him, not even look at him and flick him a coin. It was nothing to them. They were like, hey, I'm doing my religious duty. Hey, praise God, I'm good. But see, that was what was different about Peter and John. He said, look at us. So that lame man in that moment, knowing that every single other person just flicked the coin and kept walking, they, he was like, okay, I'm about to receive something big. I'm about to get some big money, okay? And so that's the beautiful thing is that religion, it's not transactional. Relationship is transformational. I was just at a camp uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I was speaking, and it came out to the lobby. The kids were going to their breakouts, and um, out in the middle of the lobby was this purple bag sitting in the middle of the lobby. And I watched. It's, it's amazing how God does this stuff. He shows you, gives you illustrations. There's a purple bag sitting in the middle of the lobby, and I watched as all these students, they stepped on it, they stepped over it, they stepped around it. It's a purple bag. This is not like blended in or some folder. It's a purple bag. But you know what? What it spoke to me is what we do daily. The homeless man, a depressed friend, a suicidal child, a broken relationship. What is the purple bag in your life because you're so busy and consumed with your life that you're stepping over? And it convicted me. What is the purple bag in my life? that I've just been, because I got to do this, I got to do ministry and all these different things, that I've just been stepping over and neglecting. There are people in our lives that are hurting and broken and they need the Jesus that's inside of us. But will you continue to step over them, step around them, or even yet, better yet, step on them? You see, Peter and John, they were willing to be interrupted. And I think that's hard for our society because we have to go, 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 go. I love when I go to Kenya, <laughs> it's kind of frustrating because I'm American, but when I go over there, I remember uh, we were going, I was going to speak at this church and um, our driver made me three hours late, three hours late. I was like, I want to be on time. I get there, the pastor welcomes me into his office. He said, hey man, sit down, let's have some tea. Let's have some chapati. And I was like, you know about it, okay. Um, and I'm sitting there like, do you understand that we're three hours late? <laughs> do you understand we're three hours? Like, we gotta, but what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that when we, as believers, we're so consumed with the moment and where we're going to that we can't just sit and be with God. We can't just sit and be with people. See, that pastor, he wasn't like, hey, we got to get going. He knew that when we got there, everything would be okay, and it was. So when we're living our day-to-day, -day, are we willing to be interrupted? Whether it's on a sports team, at a store, a restaurant. A couple weeks ago, I shared about a testimony at a restaurant uh, that we went out to Olive Garden and, and God moved. I've had several people come up to me and thank me because they are now putting to practice the very principle that I shared with them. And it's so beautiful to see that our body is going out and making a transformational uh, work in this society that needs wholeness. So the second thing that I want to highlight today is that as Christians, if we want to see the brokenness of our world restored, we must go from self-sufficiency to divine dependency. You see, the man the lame man thought that he needed coins. 
But he's been collecting coins, the Bible says, over 40 years. But he still ended up at that gate, right? His circumstance, his situation never changed. He might have actually been a wealthy man, but that wealth couldn't cause him to walk. That wealth couldn't bring him into the temple to worship because in Jewish law, if you had any type of problem or disease, you couldn't go into the temple and worship. But see, what he needed was Jesus, and that's what Peter and John gave him. Imagine if Peter and John would have been like the rest of them and just gave him some coins. Would his situation have changed? No, it wouldn't have. But if we're not careful as believers, we can give our resources and often hide behind that and never have to get our hands dirty in messy situations because it requires divine dependency on God. Oh, I love missions. I love what our renew partners do, but I don't actually want to go serve the widow, the elderly, the homeless. You see, you don't need Jesus to do good deeds. I'm going to say it again. You don't need Jesus to do good deeds, but you need Jesus to meet someone's true needs. See, there are people in your life that are in the same state as this lame man. On the outside, they may look like they're good because they got a lot of money, you know, they got all this and that, and you're kind of envious of them, but the reality is their soul is just like that lame man. They're broken. They've tried everything to create their own happiness, but they're really beat down and hopeless. That's why we can see people that are very successful that we idolize commit suicide. It's because they're longing for someone, whether they realize it or not. But this is why we're called to be conduits for Jesus. They need to see, the people around you need to see what divine dependency actually looks like. That I'm not going to trust in my kingdom, but I'm going to trust in God's kingdom. Because here's the thing, family. Our Sunday-only Christianity isn't working. Our Sunday-only Christianity actually shows a lack of divine dependency. Hey, God, I'll come get fed by this word from the preacher, but every other day I'm going to feed myself with podcasts. Nothing wrong with that. I got one. But, uh, you know, you got podcasts, you got all these different speakers and all these different viewpoints and thoughts and opinions, but this is the only day that I'm going to sit in the word of God. You know why? Because we think that we got it, that we can create our own happiness. We can create our own peace. And I'm here to tell you, you will reach the end of yourself at some point, and you're going to need Jesus to help you through. Ann Spangler, in her book, Sitting at the Feet of the Rabbi Jesus, states, Jesus also, also declared, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child and will never enter it. Notice that he didn't say we are to receive it like teenagers, testing the boundaries and pushing the envelope. Amen, parents. Nor are we to receive it like self-reliant adults, people who think they have it together. Amen, kids? <laughs> no, we are to have the attitude of a small child responding with trust, dependence, delight, and a desire to please. Family, it is not by might or power how great I am, how many accolades I can get. It doesn't matter. Not that we shouldn't work for things, not that we shouldn't work hard, but what I'm telling you at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you can't take none of that with you. Amen. It's Jesus who sustains you. 
Acts 1.8 says you will receive power. It doesn't say you have power in and of yourself. And I think a lot of us, we think that we have the power. We possess the power. And that's hard because we wonder why it's hard for us to to have a real relationship with Jesus. I love what our pastor said a couple weeks ago or last week. He was talking about vampire Christianity. We want Jesus for his blood, but we don't want him to be Lord. It's hard to come to Jesus when I want to do what I want to do. My son, he's four. I'm asking him, I'm going to say, Apollos, yo, why are you not listening anymore? He's like, I want to do what I want to do. And we're just like that. We want to do what we want to do because it pleases us. And it started from the beginning of humanity. And it's going to continue. But we have to be vessels so that people can know that there's a better way. And his name is Jesus. As Christians, if we want to see the brokenness of our world restored to wholeness, the last thing, we must go from silence about Jesus to proclaiming Jesus. You see, Peter had an opportunity to stay silent the way he did before and just say it was a good deed. He could even took credit for the miracle. But he did this in verse 12. He said, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So that faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. They were unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. Maybe you've been in a situation where... You've had the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, but you've been scared. You've had the opportunity to tell Jesus, but you didn't want to offend people. Well, breaking news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to the sinful nature. It is. It is offensive. But when I say it's offensive, I'm not just saying you offend people and sprinkle Jesus on it. I'm not saying you just offend people. What I'm saying is that as you proclaim Jesus, when people want to be stuck in their own pride and their own ways and be their own God, it's going to offend them. But we can't be afraid to tell them that Jesus is the only option. You see, you restore people with the gospel. Remember the word that I shared with you at the beginning. It says, a bringing back to a former position or condition. See, our purpose on earth as believers is to call creation back to the creator because their creator knows exactly how they need to be used. And if people, if you're here today, and if people haven't restored you back to your creator and they've just left you with with, with shame and guilt and condemnation, I want to apologize to you because that is not what godly restoration looks like. You see, as Christians, we don't just leave people in their mess. We help restore them back to their intended purpose. Verse 19, so repent, 
Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and return to God. Everyone read it with me. Seek his purpose for your life so that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out, completely erased, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a Texas day. I'm changing it. Can't nobody tell me. God, I apologize. (laughs) But can I be real with y'all? Can I be real? We family, right? I think it can be hard for us to proclaim Jesus in hard situations because we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we believe that it's Jesus that restores our world? Or do we have more faith in our political party to restore our world? You see, the Jewish people, they thought Jesus was going to come as a literal king to remove them from Roman oppression. But he came to remove them from spiritual oppression. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. But what I am saying is that if your belief in a party to restore our world is greater than Jesus, you have made that party an idol. And it will ultimately lead you to compromise Jesus or create a false narrative about him. Family, our world is longing for Jesus, whether they realize it or not. Think about when you go on a vacation. We're so excited. But about the second or third day, we're ready to go home. We're complaining about something. Right? You, you, you saw this girl or boy, and you, you're like, man, she bad. He bad. You know, sorry, y'all. Um, but, yeah, you know, he, he, you see him, and you're like, yeah, I can't wait to be in a relationship with them. They're so great, da, da, da. And then you get in a relationship. And like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it was. Man, I've been waiting for this job. Man, I've worked so hard to get it and blah, blah, blah. You get the job and you're like, man, I hate my job. We've all been there. And it's because nothing that this earth gives us can fulfill our deepest longing. That's Jesus. He was created. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. His name is Jesus. It's not religion. I don't want you to become another churchgoer. I want you to become a disciple of Jesus, to know him intimately, that he is real. Now that you've heard all of this, we've seen how God shows up in broken situations. Where do you find yourself on this process of restoration? Maybe you need to be more interruptible. Maybe it's having more compassion for those who are hurting. Maybe for you, it's speaking up about Jesus in tough situations. Or maybe it's just moving from self-sufficiency to divine dependency. Wherever you may find yourself today, you need to know that it is Jesus who empowers you to do all of this. And it's not by your own strength. Now is not the time to stay silent and sit on the sidelines, family. It's time to get in the game. And maybe for you, some of you, that's, that's scary to think that you have to step outside of your comfort. But let me give you this encouraging word. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is suffi- sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. 
for my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely unfold me and may dwell in me. I want to close with this testimony. In 2019, I met this young man who's sitting right over there named Matthew Harvey. Matthew was a football at Jackson State University. He was in Memphis uh, for an internship with AutoZone. And his friend invited him to a week-long Bible study that I was teaching to young adults. He walks in there, not sure what's going to happen. And so I'm preaching, I'm sharing, you know, teaching. He comes up to me after I'm done speaking. He says, hey, man, great job. I'm a football player at Jackson State University, and uh, I want to start a Bible study with my teammates. I looked him in the eyes and I said, man, it's so dope that you want to start a Bible study. But I want to ask you this. How are you going to tell people about Jesus if you don't know Jesus? Some of you guys in here are like, why would you judge him? You see, I saw what was deeper in his heart. The Lord then began to speak to me and share things with me about him that no one else knew. I remember vividly saying to him, at the age of seven, the Lord spoke to you and told you you would be a pastor one day. He was sitting there shocked, angry, but also wondering, God, what, is, what does this man know that I don't? He leaves there, and as Matt tells it, he wanted to fight me, and I was cool with it. But um, he said, I'm not going back to the church the next day. But the second day, he rolled in the door. He walks up to me after I'm speaking and he says, hey, EJ, how did you know that about me? I looked him in the eyes and I said, Matthew, I don't. But I know the one that created you. And I know the one that created you for a purpose bigger than you're living out right now. And he wants to live inside of you. In that moment, Matthew, he broke down in tears and he said, I want the Jesus that you're talking about. I've grown up in church my whole life. My dad was a preacher. I've done all the little Bible studies and been a junior deacon and did all these great things. But I want the Jesus that you're telling me about today. It's different. Matt leaves there. He goes back to Jackson State, starts a Bible study. He's killing it, leading FCA, all these different things. A couple weeks later, I had the opportunity to baptize him. You see, Matt had grown up in church his whole life. But it was in that moment that he met the Jesus that he heard about his whole life. And so now Matt, I'm so proud of him. He moved to Fort Worth about a year and a half ago. He's in seminary, and he just this week got a job at Crossroad Christian's Church, Christian Church as a student pastor. Now, I don't say that because I feel like, oh, hey, every single person that gets restored is going to be a pastor. But what I, what I do share is that a lot of times when we think about broken situations, we think about the person that's been with addiction. We think about the person that was in a situation where they weren't loved and cared for. But some of you in here today, you've been in church your whole life, and you know a lot about God, but you still don't know him. And that's not to condemn you, 
But what I am saying today is that no matter where you're at today, there are people around you that need this Jesus that's inside of you. And when I got saved in 2010, I said, Lord, I went hard for the devil. I did. There are people in this room that know me. I'm going to go even harder for Jesus. And Matthew is just a testimony of God's faithfulness. To see this man go from a place of getting kicked out of school for doing things he shouldn't have did to now being a pastor and helping the next generation come back to the Creator. So Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray right now, wherever they may find themselves, if they feel broken, if they feel beat down, I pray, Father, they would know that restoration comes from you and you alone. Father, if they're here today and they've been coming to church their whole life and they know a whole lot about you, I pray, Father, that they would intimately know you today. Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts people that are like that purple bag in our life. That we would no longer step over them, step on them, step around them, but we would stop and we would pick them up and help them to where they need to go. Jesus, we need you. We can't do this without you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen.